Each Friday night in Lent, a handful of us gather at 6 p.m. for the Way of the Cross. We make our way across through the corridors from station to station. We listen to the scriptures. We look at the icons. We chant together lines of the ancient hymn, Stabat Mater, And we notice this old story of our faith from different perspectives, from different angles, from a different point of view. The Stations of the Cross is one of my very favorite services for that reason, because in a slightly darkened church, uh, from unusual angles, one can begin to get a different perspective on faith a different perspective on the cross, a different perspective on Jesus Christ. It's good practice for then, hopefully, looking at God from a different perspective, understanding God from a different angle or a different point of view. That's exactly what today's gospel invites us to do. The gospel comes in this familiar story of the prodigal son. And as many of you know, this story is in the form of a parable. A parable as a story form, remember, is slightly different from an allegory. Uh, An allegory would be a story that would then assign meaning to various symbols and characters. And so A equals B, C is like D. A parable is very different. Um, A parable is filled with ambiguity and mystery, and its meaning shifts around. And so hearing the parable this year, I might identify with one character. But hearing it next year, I might identify with a completely different character. It reminds me of when I encountered a friend not too long ago talking about this story, and she asked how I would be preaching on it. And I said, I don't know. I may, I may sort of go through the, the story and, and take the point of view from various people. And she said, well, what will you say from the point of view of the fatted calf? <laughs> I won't quite get to that point today. This story is a familiar one for many, and it's a welcome one for those who might relate most to that younger child, to the prodigal. St. Augustine famously related to this story, having spent so many of his younger years living beyond his means, using people to rise socially, fathering a child out of marriage, joining a heretical sect, But Augustine came home. He came to know the welcome of his mother, who had been praying for him all those years. He came to know the welcome of his spiritual father, Ambrose. And he spent the rest of his life coming to himself and coming to know his heavenly father, who is the combination of all that is maternal and paternal, the one who seeks us out and finds us. Augustine writes, The prodigal son was sought out and raised up by the one who gives life to all things. And by whom was he found, if not by the one who came to save and seek out what is lost? 
The story of the prodigal might also resonate, especially if one understands the story from the position of the elder brother. I understood understood this story in a whole new light hearing Bishop Gene Robinson speak of forgiveness that he felt for some aspects of the church who would malign and condemn him. He pointed out that they really had lived most of their lives like the elder brother in the story of the prodigal son. They had followed the rules. They had done everything the church told them to do. Now the church was changing the rules. Perhaps the older brother has so much resentment because a part of him is wishing he had gone away. Notice how he improves on the facts of the stories. When he repeats what his younger sibling has been doing, he throws in the part about the prostitutes, whereas there's no mention of the prostitutes earlier in the story. It's as though the older brother is filling in the gaps with his own imagination. I love what Charles Wesley, the great hymn writer, once said. He said that when he was young, he always thanked God that he had escaped the more grievous sins, that he had not been one of the young corruptors he had known. But he later said when he was really honest, he began to realize that the reason he had not sinned more was because of a kind of sacred cowardice, he called it. In other words, it was not his goodness that kept him from sin. It was only the fear of the consequences. Today's gospel presents us with characters we can understand. Perhaps we know them all too well. There's the younger child who runs away, who gets lost for a time, who loses himself but then is found, and in finding, he finds himself, he comes to himself. There's the elder child who watches all of this and doesn't quite understand and simply grows angrier and angrier and angrier until at last the rage breaks. But then there's also the parent, isn't there? While the younger son was yet at a distance, the father saw him and had compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And then it's party time. Bring out the best robe. Put it on him. Find a ring. Find good shoes. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let us eat and make merry. Letare, rejoice, the church sings out today in so many ways. We, we adjust the color ever so slightly. Flowers find their way to the altar, and we, we remind ourselves, Easter is almost here. After having been in sorrow, exult and be replenished, in the words of the scriptures. Henry Nouwen wrote a wonderful little book entitled The Return of the Prodigal Son, And it's a reflection, really, upon that great painting of Rembrandt that's in the Hermitage. It's a reflection of Nouwen's own changing experience of that painting and his own changing understanding of his place in this gospel story. Um, As much as Nouwen loved that painting, he, he remembers that there was a problem in the story for him. As one who returns to God like the younger child in the parable, Nouwen had been familiar with the judgment and the authority and the majesty of God. But he didn't know where to begin 
when it comes to experiencing the love and the mercy of God. Nowen writes, I know that I share this experience with countless others. I've seen how the fear of becoming subject to God's revenge and punishment has paralyzed the mental and emotional lives of so many people. The paralyzing fear of God is one of the great human tragedies. For those who find their way to the church in the 21st century, so much of what we do together has to do with deconstructing these old, worn-out, faulty images of an angry and vengeful God. But it's hard to get rid of that stuff. This parable and others remind us that God is beyond any experience of a human parent, whether good or bad. Even the very best mother or father we can imagine is nothing like God. God is way beyond those worn-out images of a vengeful and angry God. Ours is a God who, like the parent in today's gospel story, shows vulnerability in the willingness to forgive, who, who races toward us to receive us and welcome us. Henry Nouwen believed that Jesus tells this parable about the lost child who is found not so that we can relate to the prodigal, nor that we can relate to the older child, but so that we can really begin to relate to the parent, the one who forgives. In naming this year a a jubilee year of mercy, Pope Francis reminded the faithful, do not forget that God forgives all And God forgives always. This parable invites us to grow into that role of the forgiving parent, the parent who shows mercy. The life of faith really is about growth, growth into spiritual adulthood. It's the business of children, after all, to grow up. As as St. Paul writes in Romans, we are children of God, and if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, provided that we share his sufferings so as to share his glory. But we grow up. We grow in showing mercy. We grow in forgiveness. What would a grown-up church look like? What would a church look like? What would a denomination look like if it were filled with spiritual adults, not children who squabble and argue and bicker, but spiritual adults? Being a spiritual adult would mean not blaming all the problems of the church on hierarchy or institution or even individual leaders, whether past or present, But instead, a spiritual adult would take responsibility for being the body of Christ right now, right here, today. A spiritual adult in a parish would not always sit back and wait for someone else to do things, for clergy or vestry or some unnamed and unknown volunteer to take charge and make things happen. And then imagine the power of a church filled with spiritual adults who knew what it was to offer forgiveness and welcome in every direction. 
Just this week, we celebrated the life of one of those spiritual adults, Francis Munez, who who stood at the door most Sunday mornings at 8 o'clock and welcomed, 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 welcomed. I can't help but wonder if one reason so few young people are in church these days has to do with the fact that so few adults who go to church have ever really grown up themselves. If a church offers no wisdom, no maturity, no leadership, no model for forgiveness or reconciliation, then why should a young person bother? Jesus told this parable to the religious leaders of his day, the Pharisees and the scribes who were murmuring about the sinners who Jesus was spending all his time with. And so in telling this story to those, Jesus was trying to point out they were not quite grown up themselves. Jesus was encouraging them to grow up, to grow into mercy, to grow into forgiveness. I've noticed some of the Roman Catholic churches in our neighborhood and elsewhere are celebrating this jubilee year of forgiveness. And they they have a banner or a poster out front that uses Rembrandt's famous image, the return of the prodigal. I remember Pope Francis's good words, do not forget that God forgives all and God forgives always. Especially in this season, may the grace of God work on our hearts to help us grow in faith. May we be brought to that place where we can offer forgiveness without reservation, generosity without question, and where the homecoming feast at the altar may be never-ending. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.